Thanks for joining us for another episode of Finnish Football Show. I'm Mark Wiltshire from Explore Finland podcast. Again, I'm joined by Mark from FC Suomi. Hi, Mark. Hello. And Rich from Escape to Suomi. Hi, Rich. Hello. And Rich, you appear to be wearing the same shirt you were wearing for the previous episode, which is this hideously garish Ilves shirt from the 1990s. Yeah, in the various weeks since we put the last episode out, um, my washing machine's been so busy doing baby clothes that I, I'm basically living in the same clothes. For, uh, <laughs> my, my beard hasn't grown much, but... Uh, you know. That will happen when you start to develop. Yeah. Uh, this is Finnish Football Show 18. Um, we're going to focus in this episode on uh, looking forward towards uh, next season. Um, as ever, we want your, your input, so live viewers can use the message box on the right-hand side of the screen to ask questions. Uh, podcast listeners use social media to get in touch. Um, our Twitter handles are at FC Suomi, at Escape to Suomi, and at Explore Finland. And you can also find the Finnish Football Show Facebook group. Uh, ask to join. We'll let you in. And we, well, anyone can on there can share whatever stories they want to regarding Finnish football. And uh, if it's interesting, it normally starts a little bit of a, a little bit of a chat going. So. Rich, I know you've got no biscuits. I'm sure you won't <laughs> drop any F-bombs. Um, but how about if we, if we crack on and look at next, next season, this Nations League? I know, I know that nobody still really understands the Nations League, and I've read about it, and I've listened to podcasts about it, and I kind of get it. Uh, but I guess it's only once we get started that it will, that it will start to happen. Um, but I think there's maybe... you, you, you um, wanted to talk about the FIFA rankings, Mark, and I think maybe we can also roll into then the, um, the Nations League and how that might affect the rankings. But first of all, what's, what's happened uh, to Finland's ranking recently? Uh, I think the latest we're on is now 74. So we're up now, how many places? That's something, something in the, in the order, by the order of 40. 40 places from, from where we were at the start of the year. Because I think we were our all-time low was I think this March it was about 110 something like that, so we're up and the next set of rankings will have in them the three-nil home win against um, Estonia and Estonia was still relatively well placed when we when we played them, which means that we'll be jumping up again something about three or four potentially five places, which means we could be sort of sort of finish the year sixty something. Almost having kind of halved our uh, st- standings in the world, so to speak. And what that meant was that when the groups or pots were locked down for this nation's league, we ended up in pot three by the, I think, by the skin of our teeth, <laughs> something like that. Because I think, I think, uh, who was the who was the cutoff point below us? It was. I think there was two, two or three sides below, but it, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge chasm, was it? No, no, and it, and it was based on like, it wasn't based on your overall points. It was literally just like the next worst team from you. And I think we were we skipped above Lithuania. Some, I think it was Lithuania, something like that, mm-hmm. at, at just at just the right time. So Finland are going to be in uh, League C. And I'm, just, I'm going to read this, actually, because this, this, mm-hmm. I, I, I find that every time someone talks about this, a little bit more information sinks in. So I'm just reading this um, directly from the UEFA 
website. So League C includes Hungary, Romania, Scotland, Slovenia, Greece, Serbia, Albania, Norway, Montenegro, Israel, Bulgaria, Finland, Cyprus, Estonia, and Lithuania. Teams will be split into one group of three and three groups of four. Four group winners are promoted to League B, with the four sides that finish bottom relegated to League D for the 2020 edition. The top four ranked League C teams that do not qualify for UEFA Euro 2020 will enter playoffs in March 2020 with one finals place on offer. So, you know, we, we've talked about this being a like semi-competitive football, but it does have, there is kind of a point to it. Um, it if, we, if we perform, if Finland performs well in this competition, um, I guess that will that will affect the the, the FIFA rankings because they're they're games where 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 they will accrue coefficient points. Mm. Um, they'll then potentially move up into the into the higher league where they'll be playing against better teams, and that has a positive effect on the on the coefficient if they can they can start to win those games. And then there's this potential playoff place for the uh, for the 2020 competition as well. Uh, I think Mark, when this was first mooted maybe earlier this season you were worried that it meant Finland would be playing against weaker teams and that would have a negative effect on the coefficient but so yeah. maybe after a year of winning games or or, or or performing better you you feel differently about it so I mean uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not 100% decided on it yet what it means so one clever way for teams to get the best out of the FIFA ranking system is to choose their opponents cleverly and because the amount of points you gain from a win is dependent on how good the team you beat are right so a good example is Burkina Faso so Burkina Faso are 50th in the FIFA rankings at the minute 50 51 something like that. and that's because of they were in the Africa they qualified for and did well in the group stage of the African Cup of Nations uh, about a year and a half two years ago something like that so Burkina Faso on necessarily a particularly good team because after they qualified and did the group stage a lot of their players retired and they haven't won in like a year but they still have a high a high place that's a nice nice scrape they still have a high place in the in the fact in the rankings so we could potentially pick a friendly against them and do way better than we would we get like twice as many points as we would from the win that we got against estonia the problem is obviously is that the teams that are higher up in the fifa rankings tend to be better teams like by and large and so picking that kind of delicate course is not as easy but a lot of the a lot of the um a lot of the theorists behind wales's 2016 euros run and performance was that in about four or five years before it they set up a, a friendly schedule to get them the most boosts in the fifa rankings to put them into part three of the qualification group to give them weaker opponents to play in that actual specific qualification group i think i think mark actually it, it wasn't so much their friendly schedule pick the right teams they just didn't play many friendlies i i heard i heard this the other day that the the coefficient points for friendlies are like uh, weighted like a quarter of the value of, of actual competitive yeah. games so i think yeah. switzerland as well have done something similar they don't play many friendlies italy on the other hand have played a lot of meaningless friendlies which meant that when it came to the qualifications for this world cup they were they were they weren't seeded so they're in a pot with Spain, and that's what's led to them not qualifying for the for the World Cup. 
Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Italy's a bit different because at the, at the higher end of the of the FIFA rankings, FIFA, FIFA rankings, if you want to be first, second, third, or fourth, you need to win loads of games all the time. So in that in that sense, the points you get from friendly wins are contributive because you're a big team that needs to just get that like extra ten points against if Germany or Brazil. Games. That's and that's 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 where it that was the crucial flaw in Italy's plan. <laughs> so so that so maybe the way to say is that it's less easy to game the system now, which I didn't think is is a good thing. But on the other hand, it's probably not a bad thing because we put like we put ourselves against teams that we can almost certainly beat. You know what I mean? Like it's like like teams like Estonia. You know what I mean? Are in our kind of now are now in our immediate vicinity for for this League C. So if we play those kind of teams, I think Cyprus are in there as well. Yeah. Then then we can relatively easily assume that we'll be in a, a place to compete. The other downside in it, uh, in addition to not gaming the system, is crowds. So I think there was about two thousand people only for the. I mean, was the Estonia. <sighs> That was the that was the official Tannoy yeah, number. It was, yeah, it was yeah. 20, 20, 2200, so it probably was less than that. I mean, the Estonia game had a problem because it was organised on the same night as a Finland Russia hockey match. Which I mean, nice. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who was in charge of running the fixtures for that. But I mean, come on, guys, come on, give us give give us a chance. But I mean, particularly with the renovation of the stadium and all the rest of it, you do want to draw in an opponent like. Somebody like you know, somebody like Germany or England or, or Italy, that brings a crowd. You know, the, the 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 Veritas Stadium for the Turkey game was an absolute sellout, and I mean, there was a fair amount of Turks there. Uh, it has to be said, but but Turkey are that kind of opponent where you can fill a stadium. You know what I mean? And if you if you're bringing Estonia or or Belarus or Cyprus, you're probably not going to get the same crowds slash same revenue slash same exposure. So there's a financial hit to it as well. But but, those, but the the I guess uh, the flip side might be that because this is seen as meaningful and competitive, um, mm. that people might be a little bit more interested, and there wouldn't be this feeling of oh, it's just another friendly that you know it doesn't matter. But actually, I need to get behind my team and and try and support them here. And I, I guess, for example, drawing against Scotland, and maybe mm. maybe seeing if, if a number of Scottish fans would travel. Uh, and then maybe in, in the yeah, in do, League yeah. B, there's there's both the Ireland teams um, as well as Wales, and maybe that brings some crowd over over with it as well. That, that ten, because it's not just a friendly; it has some it has some kind of some kind of meaning. So hopefully, that will that will out, outbalance the fact that in the beginning these are going to be fairly fairly uh, or, or similar sized teams without such a, a huge following. Hmm. So it's probably it's probably we'll get it's likely we'll get into three. There's three groups of four, one group of three. So, I mean, if you look at the potential, like like a, a dream group in terms of like, I don't know, competition, being crowd, able to win, crowd, right? yeah, competition, crowd, and and you know all the rest of it is something along the lines of like Scotland, uh, Estonia, maybe, and then somebody like. I mean, so there's a couple of, so in Group C, like Serbia, and so I wouldn't want to play Serbia. Romania and Hungary are there, who who knacked us in the last qualification rounds. Um, but I mean, apart from that, I mean, if you could get somebody like Scotland, somebody like maybe Montenegro, 
you know, a nice sunny away trip mm. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't go amiss. And then so like somebody, we've got lots of neighbors here. So, so Lithuania are there, Estonia are there. One, one thing um, that's often said is that about the smaller teams, uh, the very small teams, you know, Gibraltar, San Marino, Andorra, maybe even Kosovo. Now they're there about, you know, they're too, they're too small. They don't compete with the bigger teams. They should have their own pre-qualifying competition. And while I don't, so they get to play against each other and have competitive games. Mm. And this is kind of a move in that, that direction as well, isn't it? Like you get these teams there and, and some of them might start, I mean, I think, is it Luxembourg that's actually been putting a, a few, a few results together? Andorra recently. as well. And, and Andorra have had a couple of results recently. So if they're in, if they're in groups all with, with com- countries of similar quality at the moment, and they start to win some games, that might start to actually build them up. And then they, they progress and they play against bigger countries like Finland and uh, Estonia and, you know, and so on. Maybe, maybe we'll start to see one of those smaller countries start to grow like Turkey did from the 80s through the 90s. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm still on the fence about it. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it... it... It kind of it sort of standardizes everything, which is one of the things that I don't like. Because I mean, like, one of the other parts about this is it means like, so we, because it's a nations league in in Europe, and this is going to dominate the friendly schedule. We don't then get like Trinidad and Tobago or Canada, or you know, that were, and they were all really interesting games recently. Well, not recently. I suppose they were like four or five years ago. But it sort of localizes your competition base. But I mean, I think you're right though. It could it could it could make it more. It'll give us. It'll give out like it'll give us something. Something else to play for. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested. I'm interested to to see it as a as as a competition in its own right, um, and that potential wild card or playoff. Yeah. What I guess wild card plays into a playoff. You know, there's there's a chance there to to do something, even if the the regular qualifying doesn't quite go to plan. Yeah. Um, Rich, you wanted to say something about academies and reserve teams. Um, yeah, basically, after the last or the season that's just gone, um, there have been there were some good seasons for the academy slash reserve teams of the Bakehouse League of Clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, for which Hoygos reserve team, um, they've been promoted to Ukanam second tier um, these are basically you know so or you call have a team in each division they got promoted because they oh, were sorry, in the third division. division you mean in Vekas Liga and now in Ukkonen yeah yeah so obviously Hoiko won uh, Vekas Liga and um, Klubi are now in the second division or second tier sorry yeah. um, after getting promoted from the the Karkonen. Um so Again, it kind of raises, and, and again, coming from, you know, we're all English, we, we're from a, a country that is very opposed to B teams and feeder teams and, and that because of the culture of how. Um, in the third division next year, you're also going to have Asikor's academy side, Honka's academy side, and Hifke's reserve team. They've all been promoted into the third division. Mm. Uh, Cups have their... While it's not officially Cups, they they have a farm club agreement with Cups so that Cups players 
if they're coming back from injury, will we'll feature for Kufu 98. Uh, Freddie Adu made a few appearances for them during his spell. Um, and it's kind of indicative of the fact that, you know, these clubs, or the, sorry, these sides, because they're part of bigger clubs, yeah. um, they have a much bigger resource base, infrastructure, access to coaching. Some of them are very, very closely affiliated with the first teams, some not so much. Yeah. Um, they are now being promoted ahead, you know, on the pitch on merit of other clubs who are dropping down the divisions. Um, and it's, again, sort of trying to temper that with you know, the, the English side of things where it's very much a no-no. I mean, now can, you, got... can you just explain, because uh, just for my benefit and for, for those listening, that we have um, the Bakehouse Liga, the, the top division, then there's one Ukunen, second level then there are three um, uh kakunen at the third level how does the promotion and relegation work there well from from kakunen you've got um well it's, i think last year they changed it to three groups of 10. Yeah. yeah so they play off but because they're only going for two places in ukunen so the, the three group winners and then the best runner-up will have a two-legged playoff the way they did it this year, normally it was just, I think last year it was the team with the highest points, which was mm. quite straightforward. This year it was a very convoluted system of goal difference and goal average and this, that and the other, which basically allowed Clubby into the fourth place, even though they didn't have the highest points. Um, four teams. So Clubby, who didn't win their division, still got promoted ahead of two clubs that did. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Kakanen yeah, is a national... Yeah, so they beat uh, Viking at Viking, yeah, yeah, Viking it, yeah. It was uh, um, smashed them at home, I think, and then struggled away. But yeah, uh, yeah. so so that's a national that's still run by Palolito. So while the groups are supposedly regional, the the geographical makeup of the teams makes it slightly weird because next season in the the northern group you've still got two teams from Tampa. Hmm. So uh, Tampa United and TPV are going to have to travel. Lapland, you know, have to make, I think, um, and then some of the distances they've got to cover just for league games are obscene. But the, the way they work it out is just, I think, throw, throw a pin in it and, and see where it lands. And then, and then you've got leagues administered by the regional, uh, the regional FA. So they'll have, you know, the team. So uh, Mupa, in their current form, are now going to be playing in Kakana next year because. They won the fourth tier, which is a regional division. They took the place. And this is also a strange thing about when clubs go bust. They often take the place of their junior side. So in Mupa's case, when they went bust in was it 2014, yeah. they're seniors and they basically took over their junior club. Get fifth tier. Um, VPS have basically turned their junior side who are competing a lower level into a reserve team, so they'll be playing in the fourth division. I think Honka did the same. Didn't they? When, so yeah, when, they, when, they, when Honka went bust, the, to get out of that the debt around the stadium and the rest of it, hmm. they, they they made a company that managed the junior side and then just filtered all the players that were out of contract back into that. Yeah. It's, um, you know, with, with the risk of being controversial to some of our uh, Scottish listeners, it's very, very much how, how Rangers 
sort of reformed but still had a place in the professional setup. So um, mm. you're going to have a lot of teams in certainly in the third division next year who are you know junior clubs. It's you know maybe again you know in, in England it's not the dumb thing at all. But it's, they, they won't be if club, can, clubby wins Upgenen next year. They won't get promoted into Vakehouse League, will they? I presume they'll be kept one division down. Probably. Oh, you don't. You don't. No, I'm, gonna... yeah, I'm not sure. It's well, no, I don't obvious, because. But... Yeah, because in um, and again, this is really weird. But in one of the Keski Poyama lower divisions, I think it was teams from Uliveska. Their first and second teams competed in the same division. They both won that division. So. The first team won, the second team came second in that division, and they both got promoted again into the next division up. Yeah. And didn't so uh, earlier this year, didn't SCGO and SCGO's Academy play in the cup? Yeah, they did. That's that's true. Yeah. What's the difference? So like yes. like like in a way the precedent's already been set for yeah. teams to compete on the same playing field for the same trophy, even though they're the same damn yeah. club. It's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, so my like the local team here is Futura, who were relegated from Kakkonen last season and played Coleman in this season and were at the top and then didn't come back. But but we've played um, uh, in front of like you know between five hundred and a thousand guys, or well, attendance is very globy. Oh four before, and it's um, I mean. <laughs> You can see, it, it, you know, ten years ago, it didn't make another, it, that much of a difference. Club O Four were just another, you know, group of lads. They were all obviously younger than the than the kind of semi pros that we've got around here. But now, now when they turn up, they rock up on a team bus, and there's like two physios, and there's two coaches, and there's a you know a guy who takes care of like the the drinks and the refreshments and the coffee, and they've got the the whole entourage of like a pro club, and it's a bit. <sighs> I mean, it's kind of it's kind of difficult to sort of to 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 put yourself in that in that place because when you're the guy who's like, let's say you're, you know, thirties or or whatever, you've you've got some experience or you're trying to learn the game or whatever, you just look across the across the pitch and it's a different. They're from a like a totally different planet, and it's it's really like you can't you can't I can't understate the kind of uh, the impact, particularly over like a league season of that kind of infrastructure that sits behind a team. You could take any any other like Gakkan or Coleman and teams now, and if you if you put, you know, like a, a standard team bus behind them, a training regiment, a nutritionist, a physiotherapist, cool, like cool cool boxes and the rest of it behind those guys, their performances would go up like, I don't know, they wouldn't become magic players, but they'd be better prepared, less injured, less tired, more focused, all the rest of it. Is there is there automatic uh, promotion from these regional the, the the sort of fourth tier regional divisions into Kakkonen? Because I noticed that there's kind of three Kakkonen divisions, and each one has three relegation spots. Mm -hmm. So it's it automatic from below. It's not automatic. Um, generally, you know, if a club wins that division, they'll be you know applying again. It's based on licensing, what structure that club has, but they'll be invited to apply. Um, mm. But it's not a, a, a right as such. Okay. Okay. And fundamentally, um, oh, sorry. All I was going to say is, is fundamentally is that this is where the, the kind of beery to come in and earn their bread, so to speak. So to speak. So rewirking or rewiring the lower echelons of the league when uh, teams go bust or teams change or or the numbers are different or the registrations are different. That it, the Palolito basically says, okay, I need a structure down to here, and they manage, I think, down to about like. Gakkan and Coleman and level, and then Coleman and down the Beeries. Then, then just 
put teams in baskets, basically. I think probably if I know the guys well enough, it's probably manually in Excel sheets. But but um, and, and but yeah, that regional regional um, associations you're talking about, Mark. Yes, yes. The sorry, yeah, the regional yeah. associations. Pirit is the Finnish. Yeah. But um, yeah, but um, on a on the other side of that coin, uh, Lati's academy side finished bottom of their Kakkonen group, and have dissolved. Um, mm. They've given their infrastructure to Kusasi, who are one of the clubs who basically merged to form Lati, um, and they've decided that it's their academy players or their junior side will get more benefit from going on loan. So they're mm. going to send. They're going to put a greater emphasis on their players playing you know, a whole season for another side, playing within that setup rather than a slightly sanitised version of having an academy side. I'm sure there's a cost element in that as well, but um, you know, it, do, it does cost to, to run a second team and, and with that structure. But you know, everyone else seems to be making inroads into promoting their academy side, and Lati have decided we'll go the other way and. and use loan system instead it's it's a really tricky system though because so like the one of the problems with the academy sides is that they they take a lot of kids that well like so it's the academy model so they take you know thousands and thousands of kids and run the numbers basically until they get the kind of like 20 to 30 that are the fittest most technical best guys that have their fit and then they deploy them into into like you know lower leagues and that that's where you get kind of this inherent problem or choice because if you put an academy side into a into a like a man's league they will learn through playing but they will be targeted predominantly for physicality and, and inexperience so like the way to beat a young technically gifted team is to be stronger than they are and to be more organized than they are um so they don't learn like that much above like what they're currently technical technically capable of doing the problem with the other way though is the other choices like latia doing is sending kids on loan is you can learn a more adaptive game against, like, for example, you'd play in Ukkonen and be split, um, spread out across the Ukkonen and Kakkonen tiers. But because you're on loan, you don't really have that kind of, like, um, that sort of, like, learning threat because because you know that whatever happens at the end of your loan period, you go back to Lati on your contract and then, you know, if it, if, it, if it didn't go well or if you didn't like it or if you didn't adjust, it's, it doesn't really matter because you'll have another shot at it, you know, next season so it's a bit you know it's it's there's no i don't I, i'm not the guy who has a perfect answer for football development but i can see kind of problems with both of the systems because the academy approach is really consolidating gifted players so that they don't have proper opponents if you don't have answers for all of football's problems mark in future maybe the new chairman of palolito Nice. Oh my word! That is a, that yes. is a segue. That is I'm, 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 prou I'm proud. I'm proud of you. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take I'll take that. Um, it, it came from your words. You you set them up, and I'll just I'll just knock them down. But obviously, we talked previously about Perti Ayala passing away earlier this year, and um, there were four people up for the chairmanship, and now that's been that's been cut down to two. Maybe. Any any information on those? I, obviously, one of them is Ville Ninisto, who's Ninisto. a politician here in Finland for the Green Party. Um, what do you think? And played and he played lower league football um, okay. when he was uh, when he was in, in his younger days. So he's got some experience of of the game, although he hasn't done anything like administratively or with with clubs. He does. I think he's the. 
I'm going to say nephew of Sauli Ninisto. He is. Yes. Um, so, so who was the who was the Palolito chairman back in 2006 before he became uh -huh. okay. I didn't know president? Um, so so by family he's got some some input and he's got some good experience. He's also well fluent in the kind of ways and means of government and uh, roughly speaking that's the best way to get to solve problems because if 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 the Palolito chairman can argue for and get additional funding and budget and additional resources to kind of raise awareness and promote programs football will develop at a far faster rate because there's more you know there's more money to play with um so he's from the kind of political end of the sphere he's like personality wise he, there's a lot of political commentary that says that he he would be prime minister already if he wasn't with the Green Party. So if he'd have had like a social democrat backing or conservative leanings, then he's he's exactly the kind of guy that would lead a party to to running a government because he's smart, uh, charming, adaptive. Uh, you know, not he's got his principles and his ethics, but he's not like aver averse to making deals. The other guy is. Uh, are, is it Ari Lahti? Yes. The Coops, the Coops boss, Coops, the Coops, Coops Uber boss, um, whose background is business, fundamentally. Um, so he's a. I don't know if he's a millionaire. I think he is a millionaire, but I don't uh, know. yeah, he's he's got a lot um, of interest in Corpio. He's part of his latest plan for Coops is regenerating huge swathes of Corpio and building a new stadium within this complex mm. um, I think Cook, I mean Cooks are massively in debt to him so you know it's um, he's basically bankrolled them for, for a number of years now do we think this combination yeah. of business and politics could be could be a, a, a good team somehow to both get both of them involved can't both be chairman uh, obviously but yeah and so so Ari was up for I think he was up for election when Ninisto was up for election, and he ran I think against Berti Alaya initially, but he didn't get any he didn't get any um, sway because at the time Alaya was a uh... so nobody could have beaten Sal Ninisto. He's just one of those guys. Um, Berti Alaya was like a football, like a guy's guy inside football, and so he had the kind of support forever and ever, and. Uh, I think Arilati was really vocal loads of times, particularly around like sticking with Mixu and around the hiring of Bakke and around roughly how how the Palolito itself is organized around these relatively informal relationships that are subject to personal preferences. So, or you know, the old the old boys club kind of mentality. He sees it's not it's not good for business. It's not good for organizational development. That kind of stuff. Um, I think they were both interviewed on MTV last week, and Ari Lati said that uh, he's kind of he's he's campaigning on like uh, more power to the Birit, which is uh, giving kind of de devolving central power from the Palolito. And then Vilaninisto said something along the lines of he's the candidate for total change, and he would he would bring in like a a review to how the the Palolito is set up, and then try and basically shorten the time from the office to the pitch. So that uh, they could have more influence. So I think, in a sense, it's a choice between like having one centralized kind of body that can try and make big, big, large-scale improvements um, against giving the regions more autonomy and, and power to develop. And I think the the period have had a, a fair amount of 
crack at, at fixing Finnish football. So, did either of them uh, have anything to say about the women's cup for next year, Mark? Uh, I don't believe they they poached it as a key issue. I'm afraid. <laughs> but you said you <laughs> mentioned before that this is not that there isn't a women's cup next year. Not for next season, no. Well, the, the, how they're going this time is they are changing the women's tournament cup to match the men's format, which has worked because so it's, because it's been so successful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next, basically, what they're going to do is they're not going to have a, a 2018 cup final um they're going to start the 2018-19 competition next autumn uh, around the same time as the men's um so uh, they're not going to have a cup next year um which is again I, i've gone on about cups and, and stuff and you know it's um you know open cup competitions are supposedly the big mm smaller clubs to you know have their shot at the big time, have their Rocky Balboa moment, if you will, to mm. you know, to play the big side. And you know, the, the, again the the cup culture is different. But when you look at the number of participants in the men's competition, it's dropped by seventy five percent in the last ten years. Mm. Um, and the women's cup, you know, women's football is progressing in Finland. It's it's still you know, again, it's, it's not perhaps on the scale of the men's, but then it isn't really in many countries. And uh, when you're looking at one of Finland's most experienced women players are looking at becoming vice president of Palolito. So uh, Katrin Matson, hmm. she had a hundred caps for Finland retired a couple of years ago. Um, you know, and, but then you've got Marco Casagrande a couple of weeks ago, who's the secretary general of Palolito, basically saying that women shouldn't be remunerated for, playing for the national team in the same way the men do. Um, obviously, this is because this has come out of several protests, uh, really, in the Nordic countries have been the forerunners, but also in the US and, mm. and abroad, where while the national team players of the men's and the women's team get the same expenses, they get the same bonuses, they get the same participation, they get the same treatment for doing the same job. Mm. And obviously, that, that doesn't necessarily translated to bonuses where team did qualify for say Euro 2020 they'd get huge financial settlements from UEFA as a, as a reward and but when you know women's Finland team have qualified for UEFA tournaments and you know so on paper they've been more successful than the men yeah um now I suppose from a, a neutral point of view and, and the argument from Denmark, who forced the game to be postponed recently, Norway, who have now agreed that all the match bonuses will be the same. The bonuses will be different depending on the share of, you know, for, for qualifying, but the general flat rate will be the same. Uh, Casagrande has basically said, well, men's game is more high profile, so they get more money. They get more professional sort of support they get the infrastructure to get better flights hotels and so on um you know that that's i know money doesn't go on trees and so on he he has sites of budgets but if you're gonna try and get this you know make finland's certainly palolita to look like you know an equal opportunities employer as, as a as a forward-thinking organization that makes women girls want to play football and be and also be treated as equals and and everything it's not that difficult to say right do you get the same amount for turning up 
you get the same remuneration for missing, you know, and a lot of these players aren't professionals either. Mm. They, have to take, they have to take time off work, they have to you know, juggle their, their personal lives around. Um, and after this, you know, even Tim Sparv, who's the sort of vice captain of Finland, has said we need to have this conversation. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't come out and say straight away, you know, things need to be equal, but there needs to be more of a conversation about this because, you know, the, the women's team traditionally doing fairly well. They, they've won their opening World Cup qualification game. They've got another one next week. Um, they've got a new coach who's a professional women's football coach. She's done well in Sweden, Scotland, so on. But there's a lot to be said about that feeling of, you know, and, and again, it's something we'll come on to shortly about identity, where the Irish team last year complained that they had to pay to wear Ireland FA tracksuits. You know, little things like that where, yeah. you know, you've, you've basically been run like a Sunday league team. Yeah. Rich, go, go on. Let's go on to identity. I don't know if much has been, much has happened or, or since we talked about it, what, six months ago. Uh, again, maybe yeah. with these upcoming elections, that once that's all sorted, we may we may see this picked up again. Is there is there anything else to say about identity, the the identity uh, project? So there, there's very little. Oh, you go, Mark. No, you go. You go. You both well, got sorry, very um, to say. Well, um, it's it's something that again in in the year or so ago when it came up, it was the big thing about having a, a DNA and and making everything feel like it's part of a big family, um, and go back to England, we've seen at a youth junior level how having that sort of corporate approach to everything, having the young players playing at a professional setup in St George's Park, having coaching coaches to a certain level of making everyone feel involved, on the pitch that's had massive rewards already. Um, in Finland, there's still, you know, a lot of lip service has been paid to having the junior sides, you know, run professionally in the way that we talked about some of the, the young junior clubs in the low divisions. Um, but it just seems to have got lost. There's a lot of hype around the upcoming Euro under 19 tournament. But when they had their little pre-run for that, and we talked about identity, they got absolutely thumped. And their last seven games, they've lost by an aggregate 25-1. The, and, and you think where an identity should be a corporate approach to every team within the Palolito umbrella, where it's um, the men's A team, the women's A team, all the way down to mm. I don't know, under 15s. But you've got whole different approaches. You've got, like we talked about in the last episode, when Finland lost, was it 9 0 to Holland? Yeah. In, in the warm up tournament, the coach didn't make an appearance and sent out two of the juniors. Yeah. And you've got 17, 18 year old boys going out facing well for that tournament anyway basically in tears because the coach didn't have that accountability um, and again it, it might boil down to the, the old boys network or whatever but and one of those guys as we mentioned two weeks ago in the podcast was the was of dual nationality you know what I mean? So you send out one kid, you know, who's got who's got uh, an affiliation to your country and another country to take the flag for a for a for a drubbing, um, you know, and and he's got another another country as an option on his table, and you think, well, this is Sergei Aramenko you're talking about. Yeah, this is yeah, it's Sergei Aramenko, which is that I mean, so if if it, I mean, I could quite easily see 
even without that, even without a nine-nil drubbing, you could see somebody like Sergei Yarmanko because of the difficulties his family have had and the experiences they've had of, you know, going to to play for Russia or choosing to play for Russia, sending him out for the cameras after a nine-nil defeat. You know, and as a as a, I mean, as well, Sergei Yarmanko is a, is a is an attacking midfielder. So if you lose nine nil, however it happens, generally it's not that guy's fault. I mean, he okay, maybe he could talk about tracking back and the rest of it, but putting him out in front of the cameras is only going to make him see the same thing that he's going to hear from his elder brother and his and his you know his dad, which is that these guys don't have your back when you're when you when you need it, and and you know with, with we, the Helmarit we just talked about. There's a it's this it's it's exactly linked to this is that if if we don't if we do have an identity it's an identity right so it's all of us you know what I mean which means you back we back everybody to the same kind of like standard so one interesting thing is I was trying as hard as I could to find something anything about this so I I know really little I, I know that uh, Mika Mika Altonen who was uh, the uh, player Finnish player national team player in the in the eighties he smacked the goal for I think TPS against. Into DC Milan, into Milan, Milan. Sorry, into Milan. Thank you. That that belter of a strike. He's now the head of research at the Balalito. Um, so I think this might fall under the identity project. Uh, might fall under that kind of research bracket as part of player development, which is under I think Hanu Tihinen. But I haven't seen anything formal, except for Hoiko brought out um, an identity kit um, earlier in the summer. Which was a, which was like it was a it was a guidebook for parents and young coaches uh, and a DVD set about kind of what are the composite parts of becoming a professional footballer and if you've got kids what are the things you should focus on and it was like uh, quick feet speed uh, athleticism uh, muscle durability um, and awareness this kind of thing and it, so that was the and, and they called it like the Hoiko identity package. Then and those so them and AC Olu had some uh, also. It was a that was the Olu identity, which was more about playing style uh, that they'd started to talk about through marketing stuff. But I think it was more about like Olu style, kind of like almost social media slash marketing kind of campaign. It's like um, a values values sort of campaign, isn't it? Where it's about feeling that belonging and feeling. You know, if you want to play yeah. the Oiko, I remember seeing a bit of that one, where it was about having that pride representing Oiko. Yeah. Yeah, so it was more than just technicals. Which means that there are existing identity projects ongoing <laughs> in some clubs, but they don't seem to be at all affiliated with the the, the kind of the Palolito and the the overarching identity identity project. So um, we've got we've had a question, and maybe this is the the final thing we should do before we wrap up this show because we've been we've been going here now for about forty minutes. Um, Samp on the on the live chat asked, is Liga Cup returning next season or is it again that Suomen Cup group stage thing? Which <laughs> almost um, could go Suomen Cup group Liga. stage thing. Like that, Sam. Liga Cup is dead. Yeah. Which is and a shame. Come back. Uh, it's a, I mean, Liga Cup was a great experience, as a, particularly as a fan. Mid-afternoon games inside, you know. Couple, couple of beers, bit of chanting, close environment. It was, it was a really, I, I really liked the Liga Cup. Yeah, it was kind of, kind of fun, different experience, wasn't it? Yeah, the pressure was off pre-season. It was really like, hey, hey, Sam, Lumi's come to give her, which is probably as much use as any of our opinions at most times. Switch into a back four. Hello. Hey, Lumi, come on, say something to us. 
looking at her dad like, what, what is this lunacy? What, what are you trying to get me involved in? And she's more finished than any of us. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> and, and, she's, and she's showing that by not having very much to say for herself in a social situation. Yeah. Well, Lumi, if that's your attitude, I think that's about time to wrap up this episode of the uh, of the show. If you want to see what Lumi looks like, YouTube video, uh, which will be published at the same time as this, or if you go onto YouTube, you'll find it. Uh, search for Finnish Football Show, and you can also subscribe to the YouTube channel there. Um, remember, you can keep up to date with what we're doing outside of the uh, podcast, uh, Mark FC sawme.com uh, for regular reports on Finnish national players playing overseas and Rich with escape to sawme.com regular uh, articles uh, about Finnish football in general tend to be a bit more in in depth and uh, I'm featuring some guest guest writers from time to time and then my explore finland podcast.com uh, new podcast episodes uh, coming very very soon um, Mark Rich thanks for thanks for joining me again thank you and thank you so as you listening thanks for joining us again and we'll see you next time on the finnish football show thanks a lot bye-bye <laughs> never, never quick enough with the pause with the pause button. Um, I don't quite know where all this other music's come to in my phone, but anyway, I can edit that out, and I will. Yep, 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 yep.